Welcome to the Equipping You podcast, where our mission is to equip Alliance pastors and leaders to live spiritually healthy lives and lead healthy churches. Equipping You is a ministry of the Christian and Missionary Alliance. For more information on this podcast and other ministries of the Alliance, visit equippingyou.org. Hey, 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 welcome back to Equipping You podcast. This is Drumroll, please. Season 5, Episode 1, Equipping You Podcast is now the longest-running podcast in the history of the Christian and Missionary Alliance. Oh, we're the only one. Oh, yeah, the only one. Yes, we will extend that record as long as no others give us competition. Uh, We are coming to you today from uh, Colorado Springs. In, In the 1950s, the home of Charles Schultz creator of the uh, Peanuts comic strip stuff. So I'm like Charlie Brown. Alan is like a lioness. Careful. Oh. uh, Caitlin Uh, You're the nerd. Lucy. Wow. I can't believe you put me in that one. Wow. It's okay. Really, I'm Terry. I'd sooner be Snoopy than Linus. No offense. Yeah, I'm Terry. (laughs) And uh, I'm the church ministries leader for the Alliance. And I am Alan or Linus or Snoopy, depending on how you want to interpret all that. If you're a faithful <laughs> listener, you can probably figure it out better than I can. Uh, but it is really good to be on here, and I'm really excited about our guest today. Indeed. I think you're Snoopy, Alan, because you're in the doghouse. But nonetheless, <laughs> uh, we are going to interview who today, Alan? Carrie Newhoff. Yes, indeed. He's uh, on staff at Connexus Church, although he's Turned the lead pastoral role over a few years back and is actually phasing out of that. Does Carrie Niehoff, Neuhoff uh, leadership podcast and uh, has written uh, most recently the book, Didn't See It Coming, Overcoming the Seven Greatest Challenges That No One Expects But Everyone Experiences. That has to be encyclopedia size just to fit the title on the cover. It's worthy of Puritan chat, or book titles for sure. No doubt about that. The length is impressive. It is. But I can vouch for the book, uh, to be honest. It was super encouraging to me. And I would say that the subtitle describes it perfectly. Yeah. And everything Carrie writes and, and uh, says in his podcast, uh, I always find helpful, stretches me, makes me mm-hmm. think. And so I think that's going to happen to our listeners today. And so can I add your, something to that yes, before you yeah, start? You absolutely may. You I want to encourage people may. to say there might be some things that Carrie says that might annoy you today uh, right. that you might outright disagree with. But I encourage you to finish the podcast because that's part of growing as a leader. You know, if all we do is pack ourselves away into our echo chamber and hear the voices we want to hear, then we're not going to grow. So finish regardless. Even if you start to turn it, get annoyed, finish the whole way through. It's, it'll be good for you. Totally agree. So grab yourself a Starbucks hot chocolate. It's chilly here in Colorado Springs today. Fair and choice. It probably will be when this airs. So sit back, relax. Here we go. Hey, Equipping You friends, it's Caitlin here. And I want to tell you about something super special that we have launched here at Equipping You that's just for you. And we think you're really going to love it. If you're an avid Equipping You listener, an Equipping You live attender, or both, you need to join our Facebook group called Equipping You Community. 
We love that on the podcast and at Equipping You Live, we get to empower you in your ministries. But we believe that for you to really see the true transformation of your leadership that you want, applying what you learn in community is key. So pause this episode right now and head over to facebook.com slash groups slash equipping you community. Or you can go to equippingyou.com and scroll all the way to the bottom and click on equipping you community. We can't wait to see you there. And we're pleased to welcome Carrie Newhoff to Equipping You Podcast today. Carrie, thanks so much for taking the time to join us. Terry, it's great to be with you and Alan today. Thanks for doing what you guys do. Uh, we love doing what we do. So uh, we always <laughs> That's like... A good feeling. That, yeah, it yeah, is. We, really always, is. We, we always like our uh, listeners to kind of get to know our guests a little bit. So uh, give us a little bit of your life and spiritual journey and family and ministry in a nutshell, if you would. Yeah, so I'm a husband and a dad. I've been married for 30 years to my wife, Tony. We met in law school. Um, and we were both four, first year students in the, in the same section. And uh, mm-hmm. that kind of noticed her before she noticed me. So we have two boys, they're 28 and 24. Uh, both out on their own. One works me, with me in, in my company, and then uh, the other one's a computer software engineer. And uh, he works remotely in a distributed team. Um, yeah, we, I never thought I'd be in ministry with my life. So, uh, wanted to be a lawyer when I was a kid, went to law school, studied history before then history and politics, and then, uh, studied law. And in that moment, I'd given my life to Christ, but felt a call to ministry, went to law school or to seminary out of obedience. And it was funny. I did my Clifton strength finders yesterday to prepare for a team retreat. And, you know, list your stuff from the Gallup organization, like your top five strengths to number 34. So the top five didn't surprise me. It was like a strategic command uh, analyzer, you know, et cetera, relator. So I was kind of used to that. But the bottom uh, group, it's like, this is why I thought there's no way I could be called a ministry. I took, I took a picture of it. So let me, let me see. Oh, yeah. So my top five are strategic activator, command, futuristic relator. My bottom five, listen to this. This is why I thought I'd be a terrible pastor and probably was. Empathy, woo, restorative, context, consistency, positivity, developer, includer, adaptability, and that the very bottom is harmony. So I'm like, that's like a, that's the opposite of what a pastor should be. But um, went on into ministry, have led a congregation for 25 years. Actually, this is year five of a succession plan, so I'll be off staff at the end of the year. Uh, still part of our church, still helping, but not on staff anymore in any meaningful way and fully in the hands of the next generation. So, yeah, and, and you know, these days it used to be a hobby, but um, blog, podcast, write books, speak to leaders. So that's sort of what I do most days now. Yeah, we've appreciated that. I certainly enjoyed uh, the last book, uh, Didn't See It Coming. I recommend it to a bunch of people and they were, a lot of people have been encouraged by it. So I appreciate your writing well, thank there. you. Yeah, we just got number five off. Uh, it'll come out in September of 2021. So I was wondering about the final time edits now. All right. Fantastic. Looking forward to it. So Indeed. one of the things we discovered along the way uh, is that we love to ask our guests uh, who influenced them as a leader early in their ministry. It's always surprising to hear some of these stories. So could you tell us about some people that have influenced you? Yeah, um, probably Henry Nowen comes to mind. Um, one of his lesser-known books, The Genesee Diary, is a book that I discovered um, 
early on in my leadership. It was written in the 70s. And it was before he became the Henry Nowen we know. And it's basically went to a Trappist monastery in upstate New York, spent six months there, and just took notes every day. And that's the book. And it's, it's sort of, you can see him being forged in the process. So that Henry Nowen, you know, I had, I had some local people like Chuck Congram took me under his wing when I was like Hmm. 32, 33. He led one of the largest churches in our denomination at the time and uh, really just kind of adopted and embraced me. And then a lot of the other, you know, I got interested, Rick Warren's Purpose Driven Life. I started ministry in 1995. So Mm. you get mentored via books, you know, the Barna Group, who I now have the privilege of working with under his successor, David Kinnaman. You know, people like that. Obviously, what was happening at Willow Creek and in the early 2000s, I discovered this upstart church called North Point. We go on to become a a partner there. So those are definitely uh, some of the influences. And then, you know, business leaders and thinkers. Just this morning, I emailed uh, John Cotter, who in 1996 released a book called Leading Change. That really was great. I'm trying to get him on my show for next year. I don't know whether he'll even read the email, but I'm like, man, I bought your book in 1996. It changed so much. Yeah. So, uh, people like that. Yeah. That's Wonderful. fantastic. Yep. So Carrie, you've been a rising voice in leadership over the last uh, decade, especially church leadership. And uh, church leadership has had to make some significant changes since earlier this year. Mm-hmm. So uh, what are some of the most significant changes pastors have had to make and how they lead And uh, maybe tell us how you see that as uh, having potential future benefit. Yeah, I think it all does actually have a lot of potential benefit. I think a lot of us, if we're really honest, prior to COVID would say (laughs) ministry was more of a struggle than it felt like it should be. Um, You know, I, I started in 95, as I said, and it felt like it was one part effort and 10 parts results. So, you know, you have put in a little bit of effort and I've always been a hard worker, but it's like we got disproportionate results. And by the end of my time as lead pastor in 2015, it felt like, you know, I was putting in and we, we had grown to over a thousand, blah, blah, blah. But it felt like I was putting in 10 parts effort for one part of result. And I think some of that was there were some fundamental cultural shifts happening that were easy to miss. And in the last five years, our church has grown under my successor. It's bigger than it's ever been. And who knows what it is in COVID. Nobody can figure that out. We're not meeting yet. But you know, all the numbers from what we can tell, even the most conservative metrics are, it's been a good year. Um, but you know, I think the shift to digital is a big one. And I have felt how hard that is for a lot of pastors. I hear from leaders every day. And um, I've been kind of a proponent on my channels of digital church. And I do think it's here to stay and that we won't be going back to what we left in March of 2020 when, you know, there's a vaccine and we're in a post-COVID world. I think it's going to be a radically different world. Um, But I think the opportunity is there, uh, which is everybody you want to reach is online. And, you know, the fact that, that I can do a podcast that has millions of downloads from my basement and, (laughs) <laughs> you know, write blog posts that influence people all over the world um, through the internet, I think should give hope to a lot of leaders that like, there are people you haven't met in your city. And um, even leading a remote team, I've, I've, you know, I was joking with with some friends this past week, like I've basically been doing remote work for 25 years because I came to three tiny little churches 
right? So they're, they're like little red brick, stereotypical Presbyterian churches. And I mean, we only heated the building on Sunday and we live in Canada. And the reason we only heated the building on Sunday was we couldn't afford to heat it during the week unless we had an event. Uh, there was even, there was really no internet to speak of. We had it at home. It was all dial up, but like they didn't have a phone. So I couldn't work from the buildings. Like there was no point. It was me and the mice and it was, you know, <laughs> freezing. So I'm like, well, I guess I'll work from home. And so I built a little office in an unfinished basement and that was my spot to work. And then we were a portable church after we amalgamated. And so again, no office space, couldn't afford it. Then we were in a building for four years and then we started Conexus. And I didn't like the office, so I only went in for meetings and kept my home office. So I've been working remote for 25 years. And I think there is still this sense that things are going to go back to normal. Everybody will be in the office. Everybody's going to come back to church. And I'm, I'm not quite sure that's going to happen. I think we're moving into a hybrid future where there will be people who gather in person and people who gather primarily online. And, you know, what I love about it is we're going into a, a staff retreat. I was telling you guys before we started recording um, I've led a distributed team now for five years in my company in Kerry Newhoff Communications. And like we flew everybody into San Diego and we hung out and did our retreat back in February there. Well, we don't have that option right now, but we're just going to gather by Zoom and make the best of it. And like I get to get some of the best people in the world working on my team because they don't have to live where I live. And you can maybe finally get that operations person you've wanted if you're willing to meet with them in person two or three times a year, or even start influencing people for the gospel who don't live in your town. And so I, I, I just see upside. I'm an optimist. Um, but I know it's a really, really hard transition for a lot of people. And then, you know, there's tribalism and, and disruption and division and exhaustion and racial injustice challenges and, and so many other things that have just been, you know, as Pete Scazzaro says, it's cascading crises. Mm. So I understand it's exhausting, but I do think it's important to see the opportunity. So, yes, important to see those opportunities. Uh, of course, that means that there's changes that need to be made. What, do you, what are some of the changes that pastors have been most hesitant to make? I think the whole Sunday attendance thing is going to be a challenge for a lot of leaders. And I'm trying to figure out why. And I don't know, but, you know, I run it through the filter of like, why do I want everyone to be in the room? And I think a couple of things from, from a certain point, it's what we've known. There's a saying, and I haven't been able to trace this down, but, you know, it talks about at a time of revolution. So, you know, imagine a king is being overthrown in history or something. Those who prospered most in the old regime are the most motivated to recreate it. In other words, you know, if, if, if the king got overthrown, but you were a servant to the king, you want the king back on the throne. And so we know how to do church in person. We know how to do church in buildings. I think the internet feels really weird. There's no direct feedback. You look at your YouTube numbers, they're either really inflated or they're really depressing or both. <laughs> and, and it's like, who are these people? I don't know. Um, and that's, that's sort of the challenge. So I think, I think the known, you know, the past has a nostalgia that the future never does. So when you look at the past, you're like, oh, I know how to do that. So you're motivated to do that. Also, if you look at most church buildings, what does it go into? It goes into staffing and it goes into, or most church budgets, I should say, it goes into staffing and it goes into facilities. So, you know, I, I, I work out of my home, 
But if I was paying 50000 a month or 5000 a month on office rent right now and I'm a CEO, I'd want everyone back in that building because it's costing me a lot of money. Well, you know, you look at, you look at the tech companies, a lot of them have now said the, the progressive, and I don't mean that theologically, but just forward-thinking companies are like, you guys don't have to ever come back. Like, and I was talking to a buddy today who runs a virtual firm and he's, he's, he's run a digital company now for the last decade. And he's like, people are just bailing on their office leases like crazy because they realize that we can do this. So I think it's hard because we know it, we're relational. We like to see people. Um, it's what we've known. We have a sunk cost bias. If you want to use the economic terminology to keep that building going and to keep it full. And, um, and I also think there's, there's like a a security, like when the pastor can see people and get feedback and meet with people, there is that kind of, uh, just reassurance that that brings. So I think for all those reasons and more, we're kind of addicted to our buildings, but I think it's an addiction we need to break. I think there'll always be people who have to gather. But when I think about the future church, like, why can't we just gather in homes? Why can't we gather regionally? Why can't we have micro gatherings and also have some people who gather at the building? Like that's how you grow. That's how you reach more people. That's where you get the true multiplication effect. But I hope we can make that transition. I'm, I'm a little bit nervous that most pastors are motivated to do it. Helpful, helpful thinking. So Carrie, you've written quite frequently about the need for churches to focus more on engagement than attendance. Can you unpack that a little bit for us and then, you know, tell us why it's so important? Yeah, well, over the last decade, well, 20 years, depending on where you live, you know, almost all of us know that, that, you know, the family that's there every single Sunday, except for where they're, when they're on vacation, that was like a previous generation, right? So regular church attendance, pick your region. Is it like two out of four Sundays? Is it three out of four Sundays? Is it one out of four Sundays? Is it one out of eight Sundays? Like when I started in the nineties, uh, if I ran into someone at the supermarket that I hadn't seen in six months, I knew they had left my church. Like I just knew it. Now, when I run into someone at the supermarket who I, I haven't seen, you know, normal times in six months, um, they haven't left my church. They just haven't been there. <laughs> and it's yep. like, okay, yep. <laughs> so you didn't leave, right? But no, we're still in. We're just, we're just not there anymore. And, but we're still with you and they still give. Now, are they inviting their friends? Are they serving? Are they really making a contribution? No, you, you, you can argue that. But so I say all that to say this, what is the key? A lot of us spend all of our time trying to drive attendance. And now with return to church and return to in-person gatherings, people are like, come back, come back, come back, come back. I think a better strategy, and I was going in this direction as lead pastor, and my successor has done a really good job of just amplifying it, is to, to focus on engagement. Because if you think about it, you know, what value is it to you other than one more number on a spreadsheet that I sit in the back row with my arms crossed and I never give, and I never serve, and I never invite my friend. I'm basically a, a consumer, not a contributor, right? So yep. yes, you get to count me as somebody who attended, but, but if you really care about my soul, 
don't you want me reading my Bible regularly? Don't you want me inviting my friends? Don't you want me giving? Don't you want me serving? Yeah. And that's not just what you want from me. It's what you want for me. Well, that's what I would call engagement, right? That's engagement. It's like Carrie's engaged. He's praying and reading his Bible. He's telling his friends about Jesus. He's hosting his neighbors. He's serving here at the church. He's giving to the poor. He's, he's sacrificing for the sake of the mission. Like those are engaged people. And if you're engaged, you tend to show up. So I think churches that have focused on engaging people in discipleship end up with better attendance. But if you're just trying to do the dog and pony show and like, this is going to be the best series ever. I remember that was like common a few years ago. People, best series ever starting this weekend. And eventually I just thought, you know what? It's not the best series ever. Like it can't be. (laughs) Every series can't be the best series ever. It just can't be. You know, you hit some singles, you hit some doubles. Occasionally you get a triple. Once in a while you hit a home run. It's like, no, we're gathering because we are the church. And so if you can get your people to engage, attendance kind of takes care of itself. If you're focusing on attendance, it's like trying, trying to bail out a boat that is sinking quickly. It's got so many holes in it. Mm. So, you know, some of the other things you've written about is about churches' challenges in connecting with the culture. And it seems to me these two things are related. Like, you're not gonna, if you don't understand the culture and can't connect, you're not going to get the people to engage either. So what are the most challenging areas that churches are facing in connecting with the culture today? Yeah, uh, I think that's changing in real time. And, you know, there's a bunch of them, like, like America is very, I was uh, talking with Mark Sayers earlier this week, just interviewing him uh, a couple of times for some different projects I'm working on. And, you know, Mark, I think has his, if, if you haven't listened to Mark, he is one of the brightest thinkers today on cultural change and mm. he's Australian. So sometimes yep. you see things clearly and he and I both agree that what happened in Australia, what happened in Canada, where I live, uh, is now happening to the U S. So it happened to us in our parents' generation where we became post-Christian. But if you look at all the data, you look at the Barna data and you look at the difference in faith preferences of 70 year olds versus 30 year olds, the 30-year-olds feel way more like Australia, Canada, England than their parents and grandparents do. And so America is becoming rapidly post-Christian and post-modern. Um, the thing that I'm really paying attention to, like spending hours trying to figure out every week, is the tribalization and the division of culture. Right now, I see a lot of people in the church echoing that. So I think, I think culture is becoming... Because I've always said, use the culture to reach the culture. And I think that's really important. Um, you know, if your music is from another century and the way you communicate doesn't actually get understood by people, you're not going to be doing a good job. So look at a guy like Mike Todd in Tulsa uh, at his church, Transformation Church. He's doing a really good job of using the culture to reach the culture. Where I think that becomes a double-edged sword, if you, if you look at the division, the politicization, the partisanship, and the tribalization that's happened in America in the, and, and to a certain extent other places in the world over the last five to 10 years, um, that is really alarming. And that's the place where I think the church needs to become a distinct alternative that are angry. I'm a Republican and I hate anybody who disagrees with me or I'm a progressive or a Democrat. And I, I think everybody who disagrees with me is, you know, a Philistine. That is not good. Like that is not biblical. That's not biblical Christianity. We're, you know, we're, we're, we're a subculture and we're a distinct people. And I think because we've been so swept up in the presidential election and politics and partisanship, we are losing our distinct voice. And frankly, I think our credibility 
as Christians. When the younger, like right now, if I take a political stance, I'm alienating half of any audience in almost any city. If you look at the popular vote split, it's it's pretty even, right? Well, yep. you know, there's one candidate who came out ahead, but allegedly, but you know, it's it's pretty evenly split. So you're writing off half your city, half your region, right off the bat. And, and the younger you are, I think the more repugnant they find that kind of political diatribe, that tribalization that's happening. And I think they're looking for an alternative. They're looking for hope. And I think Jesus provides that. He transcends politics. Amen to that. Thank God for that. <laughs> mm. Great and timely word. Thank you. So speaking of Jesus, he said that unless a kernel uh, falls into the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. What are some things that the church needs to die to so that it can be more fruitful with Jesus and reaching people? Mm, I love that question. Thank you for that, Terry. Um, The one that first comes to mind is consumer Christianity. Um, we have gotten into this place and it's, it's even easier to do now, right? With churches in various stages of reopening and COVID and everything where it becomes about consumption, um, that, oh, I really like Furtick or I really like Mike Todd, or I listen to Christine Kane, or I think Beth Moore, you know, she's, she's my teacher. You've never met Beth Moore. You're never going to meet her. And that's awesome. But you know, it's that, that whole thing of, I just consume content and therefore I, I'm a Christian. And, and, and the, the, the assumption under that is that spiritual maturity is based on how much we know. And we know that to be an unbiblical definition because the way I read the scripture, my faith is measured not by how much I know because knowledge puffs up. It's, it's measured by how well I love. And love, you need some consumption. I need to know the Bible. I need to, need to under, have good theology. But ultimately, I have to do something with that. I have, to, I have to go love my neighbor. I have to go love somebody who voted differently than me. I have to love somebody who has a different skin color than I do or a different accent or a different approach or philosophy to life. And, and I need to be the light of Jesus. So I think that consumer Christianity, that I'm defined by what I consume and I am what I consume, that's dying. And those are the people who are sitting in the back of your, your church not contributing, but doing a lot of complaining. So I think that's a good riddance. I, I think that's awesome. Might reduce attendance in the short term uh, as we come back from the pandemic, but I, I think that's great. Another thing that I, I think is the, the jig is up on this one is people pleasing. Mm-hmm. A lot of pastors are people pleasers. Uh, sure. You know, I was joking about my Clifton Strength Finders, but if you look at most pastors' profiles, like harmony, restorative, empathy would be near the top. And, and that's wonderful. Like, I think in, in some ways, I've been trying my whole life to compensate for those things being at the bottom of my list. Uh, they're, they're very Christ-like characters. But what that can descend to into when it's unhealthy is that your love for people becomes a desire to please people. Well, try to keep a congregation together, together in, in an era of masks, no masks, gathering, no gathering, um, you know, online, no online, like it's so tribalized and so polarized that, that I'm afraid people pleasing pastors aren't going to make it through the next year. So there's a certain sense, and, and I know this sounds trivial, but where you have to die to how people respond to you. I think one of the, the fundamental things that, that leadership requires is that you have to be prepared to be misunderstood. 
and you're the parent, right? You're, you're, you're the parent. You're responsible for making decisions, not necessarily that people want, but that people need. And so I think those are two things that, that probably would be helpful if they just kind of went away. Yeah, thanks. You know, you've mentioned empathy a couple of times now, and, um, and I appreciate that. Uh, I think it was Friedman that said that sometimes empathy can actually get in the way of leadership. Um, mm-hmm. And that's very intriguing to me. I've been thinking a lot about that lately. Oh, I, I mean, just to your point, Alan, I, I think one of the reasons I've been able to do as much change as we've done over 25 years of ministry here is because I don't feel things the way most people feel things. Like, mm. I pray about it, I hear it. But if you send me an angry email, I'm like, oh, yeah, it hurts for a little while, and then I move on. Mm. And if you stand up and yell at me at the congregational meeting, and that's happened a few times, I'm like, okay, what can I learn from this? And then I move on. And I have other people around me, like, like my assistants over the years have, have always had empathy near the top of the list. So I have people to read the room and go, Carrie, you're being an idiot. Like, stop <laughs> it. Okay. So I've got, I've got people around me, but I just don't feel it. And I sleep most nights. I sleep pretty soundly. Now, you know, have I been attacked like other people have been attacked? No, 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 no. But, and I'm trying to create a conciliar view and I'm trying to do what's right for people. And, you know, as Jesus said, wisdom is proved right by all of our children. So a bad decision is just a bad decision. If you made a bad decision, it's going to show up. If you made a good decision, eventually what happens is those people who oppose you eventually go, well, that was probably a good decision, right? Mm-hmm. So I think, I think actually not being like empathy is a learned behavior for me through many, many hours of counseling, a lot of time on my knees, asking God for discernment in that. And so I think I, 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 I can be empathetic and I, I really do feel, but I just don't feel that like other people feel it. And I think it's helped us lead change. Mm, that's good. And I, I think one of the things that people have are wrestling with on the online side of things is some people frame it as, oh, well, you're just changing, chasing followers on social media or something like that. And so that puts up a wall for them right away. But I, I, I'm guessing that you wouldn't frame it that way and that you want to help people engage with people that are online. How can they reframe it and how can they engage people? Well, I would just say, are you interested in people? I'm, I'm actually really interested in people. And there's a lot of people on the internet. And I'm not going to reach all of them. That's not my goal. But, you know, you know, when internet was dial up when I started and it was slow and you got four emails a day in the 90s, like I was still interested in people and most of that was happening in real life, right? But the internet is this incredible tool where you can connect with people on a scale that you just never could before. So I think if you're interested in people, you should be interested in technology. And then the goal is, you know, when you think about online, you have to think about a, a funnel. So I was, I was, again, talking to Mark, and he said in the early days of COVID, one of his messages went viral, and he thought that was awesome. Like, you know, here, here we are. It's finally happening. And then he found out, if I got this right, that it was somehow the algorithm linked him to a video from India of a lion eating an antelope. And people were actually chasing the lion eating the antelope, right? (laughs) So I'm doing my final series at Conexus as as we record this. And week one of my series, it's like all of a sudden traffic was like 10x what it normally is. We'd normally get 1,500 to 2,000 views on a video when it goes live. And we had 15,000 like the morning of. And the concurrent views, the length of views, it was crazy. You know what that is? That's just the algorithm. 
that's all that was. YouTube, you know, whoever, whoever runs that algorithm, the AIs that run the algorithm, just for whatever reason on Time Change Sunday, looked at Connexus Church and said, ta-da, we're going to favor you, okay? So then part two, it wasn't 15,000, it was 3,000. It was like, well, that's still higher than normal. But the real challenge now is to turn those people into relationships, to engage yeah. them in the comments, to follow mm -hmm. them back, to get yeah. them to subscribe to our channel, to um, capture their email address at some point so we can have a more personal connection. And so I think, and, and people say, well, that sounds so marketing. That's exactly mm -hmm. what you do in a building, right? You got a new person, you say to your greeter, I think that guy's new. Like go over and talk to him. You send your best people, your best greeter over to say, hey, Alan, yeah, are you, are you new here? Yeah, great to meet you. What's your name, right? And then, hey, we'd love to connect with you. How can we help you? Hey, would you fill out a welcome card? Oh, maybe your next step, we got this like new membership class or alpha or starting point coming up. Um, we'd love to have you join us. Yeah, and then when we get your email and your phone number, we text you, we call you, we drop off a gift at your house. That's exactly what we do in real life. Mm -hmm. And so all you're doing is you're doing the digital equivalent. Hmm. Yeah. Thanks for reframing that for. I think that's really important for some people. Extremely helpful. Yeah. Like for me, you know, we, the content I produce gets accessed, I think about a million and a half times a month these days. And that's awesome. But I don't know who all those people are, but I have an email list. Like I'll send an email out to 75,000 leaders most days. And that's sort of my core. That's sort of like, okay, I don't, I don't understand, you know, millions and who's, and some of that's Google searches. Like think about when you search, you know, how to, uh, how to change your transmission. I would never, ever Google search that, but I don't know. Me That's neither. Like disaster. <laughs> Me neither. Anyway, but you know, people Google that. You don't build a relationship just because you watched a YouTube video. But if you find someone you really like, you subscribe to their channel, you get into it. So, you know, all that traffic isn't really real traffic. You know, Google will send me thousands of, of people a day who are just trying to find out why their church isn't growing. Well, I don't have a relationship with those people, but I have a relationship with podcast subscribers. I can build a relationship with um, the people who subscribe to my email list because there I've got a connection. And so same thing, back to the earlier question, what do you want to do? You don't want to focus on like 15,000 people. Woo, woo, big Sunday, you know, that's awesome. You want to build a, a relationship with the people that you can actually connect with. So it's engagement, not just attendance. So as pastors and leaders, our mission is to lead our church to be fruitful in making disciples. And uh, Carrie, we're looking forward to having you uh, at our Alliance Council in Nashville, Lord willing, we yeah. say in these COVID days. Yes. Uh, and you're going to be talking about making disciples in uh, this day and age. Can you whet our appetite now and give us one way we need to think differently about making disciples? Yeah, the one thing I'm really thinking about as we, we head into 2021 and start to imagine what a post-COVID world would look like is I want you to think about where discipleship happens. I could be totally wrong on this, but I am thinking that what will happen is discipleship in the past, for whatever reason, right or wrong, by default, it was an unchallenged assumption, tended to happen in the building. So in other words, if you wanted to grow spiritually, yes, please read your Bible and please gather in small group, but you better come hear me preach or you better come to this Bible study or you better come to, you know, some event that were happening. So the building was the hub for spiritual formation. And I think moving forward, the home is going to be the hub and the community is going to be the hub 
of spiritual formation. And, and I think that's actually a real opportunity. Number one, it scales at a level that your building doesn't. So think about um, what happened. I know a lot of churches will still be doing this, but you know, in the 90s, adult Sunday school was really the way almost every church did Christian discipleship. Right. And, you know, you had your sanctuary or your auditorium, whatever you called it. And then you had the big Christian education wing, adult education wing, whatever you called it, with all these classrooms, right? And then the small group revolution comes along. And this new generation of boomer pastors in the 90s goes, we don't need that. Why don't you just meet in your home? And suddenly, you know, problems of dollars and square footage were erased because this scales, it's like Uber versus taxi cabs. You don't need to have an another taxi cab. It's just like, Terry, you want to drive this afternoon? And then Alan, maybe you want to pick up a shift tonight. And we're not buying you a car. You're using your car. So small groups actually took what used to happen in the building, happened it in homes. And for most churches, including churches like ours, you know, we'll have a thousand people in small groups in a week. We don't have space for a thousand people anywhere on our 26,000 square foot facility. We just don't. So it's scaled. I think the future of the church is going to be a lot more like what happened with small groups, that you're going to go from people gathering in a building to be formed spiritually to you may be in the building looking at a camera with a small audience in front of you, but the vast majority of people are going to be in their homes, in the community, and that is where discipleship is going to happen. And I think if you want a, a charitable understanding of what's happened in the last year, thanks to COVID, um, maybe people feel that responsibility more intensely now than they did prior to COVID. It's like, yeah, here I am with my wife and my three kids, and we're trying to figure out how to follow Jesus in this mess of a kitchen. And um, it's not ideal. But I think if, if we actually got people to bring the gospel into their workplaces, into their homes, into their neighborhoods, into their backyards, and we saw ourselves as an equipping center rather than just a gathering center, I think the upward focus of discipleship and, and the gospel is, is um, very encouraging. That's very, that is, that is encouraging. Thank you so that much. Is. I love that equipping center uh, idea. So every time I read your stuff, every time I listen to you, Carrie, you stretch me, you uh, get me thinking in uh, different and helpful directions. That's been true today. Again, I appreciate it. Where's the best place that our listeners can go to access your resources? Yeah, you can go to kerryneuhoff.com. If you can't spell that, I understand. So you can go yeah. to leadlikeneverbefore.com. It will uh, will land you there. And if you even badly misspell my name, Google will, will help you find me. There you go. So we appreciate you uh, taking the time to be with us today and all that you've shared with our uh, listeners to help them be uh, better leaders for the sake of Christ's kingdom. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me, Terry. Thanks for having me, Alan. Looking forward to hanging out with you guys next summer. And we're we'll looking forward to it too. Thanks so much. We'll see you in Nashville. You bet. So great interview with uh, Carrie Newhoff. Uh, I'm sure, sure you were stretched and challenged. And uh, he'll be with us at, in Nashville at Equipping You Council on Friday, June 4th. Sign up for that when you register for uh, council or go looking back in and sign up for it. Yep. Really looking forward to it. Hope we're able to gather. Uh, Caitlin? What resonated with you today that Carrie had to say? Um, is all of it a viable option to say? <laughs> well, yeah, that, that, yes. that works. But maybe works. we're looking for something a little more specific. <laughs> okay, I can get specific. Um, no, I think as someone who is 
27 and um, just kind of hearing him talk about these values of really the next generation that's been coming in. And I feel like, uh, you know, my generation being a millennial has kind of created some of that tension within the church. And we've seen that people my age and younger are leaving. Um, but the values that he were speaking, that he was speaking about resonated with me. Um, you know, can we meet in like smaller house church communities? Does, do we have to be so tied to a building? Um, for me, I value authenticity in my church experience and, you know, production and the lights and great worship. It's fun. Um, but it's for me, I won't choose that over authentic relationship. And, you know, scripture talks about the iron sharpening iron. Um, I think it's going to take um, the next generation to really begin to usher some of these things. In. And my hope is, is that for the Alliance pastors out there that are listening now that might not be at 27 years old, that, um, that you would take some time to really think and consider, like Alan said, I'm sure there's some pieces in here that might go against the grain of what you practice in your church and what you think is best. But um, I don't want us to lose an entire generation of people in the church because we have preferences. And that's my fear. I, I never, and even my own preferences, I don't want our preferences as Alliance people um, to hinder the next generation coming to know the Lord. So that was, that was kind of what was swirling through my mind as he was talking. It is a good word. And and, uh, Caitlin speaks for many when she says uh, that authentic relationships are very important and uh, probably not just for millennials, but for a lot of people, but uh, somehow we don't always see that happen in the, uh, in the church. And so uh, let's, let's, make an intentional effort to really move in that direction. Well, a great start to season five, huh, Alan? Absolutely it is. That was fantastic. So hope you'll uh, share about this uh, episode with your friends and uh, even your enemies if you need to. And uh, be a blessing. uh, We will look forward to seeing you next time on uh, Equipping You Podcast. Until then, keep the faith. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the Equipping You Podcast. If you liked this episode, please consider subscribing and rating our channel. We hope you will join us for our next episode. For more information on this podcast and other ministries of the Alliance, visit equippingyou.org.